Pai, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, this is Nathan cornish Raley speaking to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples. The call for submissions for the SPA National Conference in 2024 in Perth is currently open through the end of October. Many of our colleagues, often those in academia, research, or leadership positions, will be experienced in submitting papers to a conference and may be confident in navigating that process. But some of our colleagues may not have that experience or might question whether a professional conference is the place to share their learnings. So we wanted to explore the types of submissions that are sought and how a speech pathologist can prepare a paper that meets criteria and may be selected. So to help us understand this better, I'm joined by Dr. Lisa Furlong, who is a senior lecturer and senior research fellow at Flinders University. And she is the very newly appointed scientific chair for the SPA conference. So we really appreciate her taking the time with us. And we're also grateful to welcome Dr. Emma McLaughlin, who supports evidence-based practice and research here at National Office. And she was the scientific chair for a previous SPA conference. So thanks to both of you for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Well, to get us started, I wondered if you could give us an overview of the different presentation types at the SPA conference. I think this year it's great that there's so much variety in the different presentations that you can submit for. So I think in previous years it was probably a bit more limited in terms of what you could submit, but now it's really exciting to see that, you know, you can start with presentations that are a poster, so something that's a bit more a contemporary way of presenting your research, but not necessarily a way that you have to you know, get up in, in front of the group if that's something you're not feeling confident doing. Um, and then, of course, the rapid impact presentations, which are a really great way to present your research or your practical experiences or clinical experiences within five minutes, which can be a bit of a challenge, but I think they're a really um, interesting and fun way to present your work. And then there's so many other different types of presentations. I think Sarah Allen and her team have done a great job at putting those all together um, for people to look through and kind of determine how your work best fits with the different types that are available. And so how would a presenter decide um, which category to submit under? There's several different kinds of presentation formats for next year's conference and there's more information about those on the Speech Path Australia website which has just been renovated (laughs) or uh, upgraded so um, you can find more details there and that includes information about maybe what kind of information might be best suited to be presented in a certain way. So I'm just thinking back things like a poster If you've got something that maybe has a lot of visual information like graphs or pictures or something like that, and as Lisa said, if you don't sort of feel like standing up and and speaking in front of a group, then a poster can be really useful to let people stand and and linger and think about it, um, and especially if there's a lot of visual information. Whereas if it's um, something more like a, a practical 
insight in terms of like a treatment approach or something that you've learned in clinical practice, then that might be something that you want to have a discussion about or um, have more audience participation in. And you can always submit in one format that you prefer. So you might submit to something like an in-practice or research insights 15-minute presentation and the committee or the reviewers will look at that and they might think actually that might be better as a poster or that might be better in a different format so there's that flexibility there a little bit in terms of the conference program and the theme and how the the committee thinks it's all going to work best together. Yeah I think that handout's really helpful for that because it's really clear about what that presentation type is how long it is and what the expectations are around engagement with the audience I think if you like you say if you think about what your work is focused on and who you're trying to target with what you're presenting that handout that's provided is really helpful and then like you say if it turns out it doesn't quite fit that presentation type then the reviewers will be able to to change that and suggest something else I think though too like the post is a really good starting point for maybe for someone who's not presented at a conference before like it's a nice way to share your work in a way that's not too scary I suppose and a nice way to talk to people and you know like people will come over and talk to you about your work and you can have a really good discussion with them about what you're doing and how your work aligns with what they're doing so I think that's quite a nice sort of um, presentation type if you're just starting out maybe as well. Yeah, and I've done some like oral presentations about my PhD topics, but I've also done a poster for some like clinical information. And this year at the conference, I presented on some, um, was research, but it was sort of clinically based. And they're all good ways of engaging with people. And now that posters are electronic, you don't have to lug one on a plane somewhere and (laughs) find somewhere to get it printed and all those sorts of things. Um, Yeah, standing by a poster and just having that time to individually talk to someone about your work can be really good. Yeah. And of course, too, these days, you can include things like, you know, QR codes to link to videos or I know we had a pamphlet about the poster that we had on display as well that people could take away. So you can be quite creative in terms of how you disseminate the information that you're wanting to share with the profession. So what information would you need to provide in a submission? I think this year it's very well organised in terms of what information you need to provide. Um, Again, Sarah, Alan and her team have put together that really helpful Word document that's basically a mirror of what you would need to put into the portal, which has also been revamped, I understand. Um, But it's just really clearly set out in terms of information about the presenter, the stream that your topic fits into, providing keywords so that people can easily search the program and find the presentations that are best aligned with their interests. Yeah, it's it's just really clear this time. I think it's a good tool or a good resource to use that Word document to pull all of your information together and then just take that into the portal and just plug it into the different spaces because there's nothing more frustrating than getting into a portal and then realising you don't have (laughs) something that you need. Um, So I really like how that's put together this time. And you'll need to have a summary of the presentation. I think it's 300 words, is it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So a bit bit sort of like an abstract, I guess. Um, And also have a think about how you want to engage the audience 
and some information about accessibility, evidence-based practice. But again, it's all, all that information is available on the website and in the portal. But as Lisa said, it's a bit like when you're writing an important email to maybe have all that information in a Word document or something and then just copy and paste it in because there's nothing worse than you getting a like a blackout or something when you're just about to hit submit and it's all <laughs> That's true, yeah. I think yeah, there's a few extra sort of pieces of information that need to be provided this year, but I think they're really important for ensuring the quality of the presentations and, you know, making sure that what you are proposing for your presentation is accessible and relevant and important and evidence-based. I like that there's those additional areas to complete. And also the one about assumed knowledge of attendees. I think that's a really important piece that's been added in thinking about who your presentation is targeted at. And as someone who has been a scientific chair, this sounds really obvious, but please read and follow the guidelines. Like I know that sounds Mm. obvious, but, you know, sometimes you'll get submissions um, that are a bit ambiguous or you're not quite sure exactly what stage the research or the information is at. And so you're not sure whether it should go in the program or where. Um, And when you've got hundreds of submissions and each of them goes to reviewers and, you know, that's that's, that's a, a long process that takes time and effort from people. And so the clearer you can make it and ensuring that you adhere to those guidelines and provide the required information will make the reviewer's job a lot easier and, and increase your chances of, of getting accepted into mm. the conference. Yep. And Emma, you mentioned that, you know, the 300 word summary, which isn't a lot, you know, it's a couple of paragraphs maximum, but you mentioned that it's kind of like an abstract. And I think there'll be some of our colleagues that are really familiar with writing abstracts, but perhaps there are some that are not so experienced with that. Can you I guess, tell us more about what you would include in a summary. Yeah, so the topic of the presentation, and again, if you can make that clear, titles like Exploring the Speech Pathology Space, Ideas and Potential, you know, sound really good. Um, But again, if if we're looking at what's that about and where does it fit in the program, you know, if you can be clear about the topic of the presentation, as Lisa said, those key words, but also things like if it's research, the methods, the results, conclusions, so that the reviewers and attendees can sort of look at that and think that's something that's relevant to me or that I'd like to learn more about so people can make those informed decisions about what the presentation is about, what it's going to add to the profession or to someone's practice, and then um, where it might fit in the program. Hmm. I think that piece is really important too, like the clinical application and thinking about in a section this year as well about what the key messages are for your presentations So thinking about what attendees can take away or what they can use from your presentation in their own practice. Yeah, I think that relevance to our clinical work is a really important part of that 300-word piece, but also those key messages you have to provide. Well, so let's say you've created a brilliant submission and you have submitted it to the um, review committee. Um, Can you give us an overview of the review process and maybe some of the things that reviewers are looking for in a submission? I think What's happened in the past is that the submissions go to reviewers who may have experience in that particular clinical area or or practice area or professional area and 
that the submissions, so those summaries, and that go to those reviewers and the names of the authors of the submission are removed and their affiliations. So, you know, it's not like, oh, I know that person, she's lovely, I'll put her in the, the program. So it's based on the content of the submission and how it might fit in the program. And I guess it's what it adds to the profession and informing clinical practice. Yeah. Yeah. And they do have specific review criteria to use to determine an overall rating for that submission. And like you said, that review process obviously also includes thinking about whereabouts in the program it will best fit and what it can contribute that's interesting or innovative. Yeah. Yeah. So the submissions will get a score on those selection criteria and then we'll have a look at the streams and see these five might go together in adult communication or these four might be good for complex communication needs or something like that. Yeah. So the SPA conference submission website says that presenters from diverse backgrounds, experiences and perspectives are encouraged to submit covering a wide spectrum of topics. Could you talk about the range of background and experiences that presenters might have? Anyone and everyone. (laughs) I think there is a lot of diversity in our profession, not only in our scope of practice and how that keeps expanding, the clinicians and the researchers and the type of work that they're doing. It's really nice to hear from people who are doing different things. I think even for our keynotes, we're thinking about, you know, people who have lived experience and someone who's a field expert and someone who's a motivational speaker. And the submission guidelines also say, you know, people from other allied health professions can present. So I think it's really just about trying to capture the diversity of our scope of practice, but also the way that we work with lots of different people in our profession. Um, and not feeling like you can't submit because you're not a researcher. I mean, you can be a a HDR student or you could be a clinician. Like we all have interesting things to share from our work and this is an opportunity to do that and to network with other people who might be working in that space. And I think it can sometimes, for some people, feel a bit intimidating. It's like all these older people who have heaps of experience and PhDs and work at universities and that's what a conference is about and that's not what it's about. It's about sharing knowledge, learning from each other and, you know, some of those older people with heaps of experience might have a light bulb moment from an early career speech pathologist who's describing their experience or a clinical revelation that they've sort of come across that might put them on a different path in terms of investigating something new. And I also think that, you know, traditionally we're seen as a female, white, middle-class kind of profession and we're moving away from that and it's really important to hear from a wide range of clinicians, people with lived experience, as Lisa said, other allied health professionals, anyone who could improve our practice or make us think a bit more broadly or challenge some of our beliefs or biases that we might have. That's I think that's a really important part of growing as a person and as a profession. And it's not just about hearing, you know, how to do articulation drills or something. It's much broader than that. And I think the profession really benefits from those discussions and, yeah, things that just make someone go, huh, maybe 
me as this person hadn't thought about that before or needs to incorporate that into my practice or needs to consider how I move forward. Well, thanks. I think that's a very nice summary of why people with different professional and lived experiences should see themselves at professional conferences and at the SBA conference in particular. So are there supports available for people to prepare conference submissions, particularly if this is their first submission or if they don't have connections with colleagues who are experienced at this? I think the resource that Sarah Allen and her team have put together is super helpful, that Word document where you can pull together all of your information ready to submit into the portal. I also think sometimes it helps just to, just to say it out loud, what it is that you want to talk about so that you can, you know, in a quite a succinct way, just sort of summarize what it is that you want to share and then use that as a starting point for putting your, your abstract together. When you're thinking about putting a presentation together, I remember when I was a PhD student, my supervisor always said to me, just talk to a person, find a person and just talk to them about what you want to present. Try and tell the story without overthinking it too much. And that gives you a bit of a framework around what your presentation will cover. And then you can think about how that might fit into that 300 word proposal I think sometimes you can overthink it can't you but if you just yeah (laughs) if you just kind of say what you want to say to another person and you realize okay this is what I've kind of captured as my presentation and then work with that as a starting point or what it is that you want people to take away from your presentation why is this work important what did you do just tell the story of how this began and perhaps looking at some past conference resources or other conferences, looking at submissions or abstracts that people have put online could be useful too, just in terms of thinking about how you want to word things. But as Lisa was saying, the guidelines for submission are quite clear and specific. So that makes it a bit easier too. Hmm. And you could also have a look at some journal articles online, have a look at the abstracts. If you don't have access to a library, the abstract is usually the only part that is freely available. So have a look at those for a bit of a a guide as to how you can put your information together according to those headings that are provided. And I would also recommend, like I said, being specific and and looking at the conference theme and how the information that you want to share with the profession might link into the conference theme. And maybe also have a think about if you were choosing a session to go to at a conference, what would you want to know and what would help you make that decision about this is one for me versus I'll give that one a miss? Hmm. That's true. And, and, yeah, and part of that comes, we said this earlier, I think, but part of that is also the clinical implications of your work and what you want people to take away. So that's important when you're putting your abstract together, thinking about, how this is going to change practice or what people can learn from your presentation. Excellent. I also wanted to mention that SPA has a mentoring program that's free to members thanks to the generosity of our colleagues who volunteer their time to provide professional support in areas where they have experience. And there's a number of current mentors who have experience in research. So you could potentially reach out to one of them and talk about your ideas and how to develop them. Well, as we wrap things up, I wanted to ask if there's anything else that our listeners should know about submitting to the SBA National Conference. Do it.
go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say too, just have a go. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Uh, as we've talked about, everyone has something valuable to share. And, you know, I had a student last year who was a little bit nervous about submitting to the conference, but it's a really great opportunity to share the work that you're doing and to connect with other people. And we're all doing important things every day that are making a difference. So share that knowledge with your colleagues and the profession and everybody starts somewhere. You know, you talk about those superheroes in speech pathology. Every one of those was a student once or a new graduate Mm -hmm. once or did their first conference presentation once and they were really nervous about it. So we've all been there and like I said sometimes it's the the people who are early career speech pathologists or students that have their finger on the pulse and are part of how the the profession is changing in positive ways and can really sort of create those light bulb moments and and learn from more experienced people and vice versa so everybody's voice is important. Hmm. I think just on that note too you know clinicians who are presenting or HDR students who are presenting for researchers it's really interesting and helpful to hear about what's happening in clinical practice because not all researchers still work in clinical practice and the whole point of research is to improve practice and change people's lives so we need to have that connection to understand what's happening in clinical practice and what's happening in research and how we can bring those together. Excellent. You can find more information and make your submission to the Speech Pathology Australia 2024 National Conference on the SPA website, which will be linked in the show notes. Dr. Lisa Furlong and Dr. Emma McLaughlin, thanks to you both for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And looking forward to seeing you at the conference. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks. And to our listeners, thanks for being with us. Please join us again next week for another episode of Speak Up. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.